welcome to episode 27 of the 1099 for the week of February 1st, 2016. I'm your host, as always, Josiah Nodden, on this like super cold Jacksonville day. It's like 35 degrees here, and someone said it might snow, and I don't know if I can handle that. Other than that, today I'm joined by the co-founder of the Fulbright Company, and which is the team responsible for both Gone Home and the upcoming Tacoma, Steve Gaynor. How are you doing today, Steve? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to have you on here actually for a long time. And uh, I feel like over the course of dozens of episodes of a podcast, very often themes start to form. You start looking mm-hmm. back and reading into things. And a big theme of this podcast so far has been, no matter how cheesy it sounds, that once you really put your energy into something you love doing, uh, passion or something to that effect, whether it's at a high or low level, very often, if you really, really put a lot into it, opportunities start to appear. And mm-hmm. I think when I look at your career, I think that holds true for you. And correct me if I'm wrong, you started as a tester for Sony. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that was my first uh, Yeah, that was my first job in the industry, as mm-hmm. it were. Yep. Yeah. And from there, you started designing levels for uh, the Fear expansion. And eventually, you were the writer and lead designer for Bioshock 2's Minerva's Den. And right. yep. just kind of first off, when you started as a tester, what were your actual long-term goals in the industry, and did you ever have any sort of grand ambitions to start your own studio? There's a couple of questions there on some mm-hmm. level. So, like, first and foremost, yeah, I um, I started doing level design stuff because just, like, over some amount of time, like, when I was in college, kind of interrogating what I wanted to do and how one might do it and stuff, I I realized that... Well, I, I'd always wanted to, to be in kind of a creative field as far as like what I did with my career and livelihood and everything. Um, and so at some point in there, I, I realized that uh, video games were kind of the thing that I was the most connected to mm-hmm. as far as just a, a you know entertainment medium goes. Like I had, I had done art and drawing and comics and stuff ever since I was growing up and I kind of thought that was the direction I was going in, but it's at some point in there, it, it was sort of like, uh, I'm actually really spending all my time like being obsessed with games, not <laughs> this other <laughs> stuff that I'm doing. Like, um, and, so, and so, you know, I started thinking like, what, what part of those things is what I'm passionate about and care about and sort of understanding that, you know, game design and how the game works and kind of what, what the player can do in it and, you know, that, that side of the experience more so than the art or, you know, I've never been a coder or anything was sort of what I cared about. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I found that, you know, through level design, you can be a part of building that player experience and the design experience without being a technical person or having to build your own, you know, small game from the ground up. Yeah. Um, and that that could lead to, having more influence on the design and getting to the point of being a lead designer or being in charge of a project or whatever. And I had a little bit of experience with making my own levels for stuff just kind of over the course of my childhood and adolescence. So I was kind of like, well, I, know, I sort of know what that means. I can I can try and take that more seriously and, you know, bet, build a design portfolio by making my own levels. So, um, you know, so on, on the one hand, it was kind of pointed towards this is a good first step towards being able to be involved with the highest level of like yeah what is the identity of the game you know what is the thing that what 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 design elements define what this what this overall game experience is um you know at some point you know like like 
start getting getting your foot in as a designer who's like contributing to the game could lead lead to that point. And I think that was as far as like when I was starting, that was the most specifically I had thought about what my overall like you know am- ambition was. I guess was to be sort of like, well, you know, I like I like making levels. I like being a level designer. I'm, I'm learning to be better at it. I hope that this could lead to being you know a lead designer or being in charge of a project in the future. So you know that's kind of like what I'm what I'm aiming for. Um, I do remember that at some point, like when I was in college. I do remember thinking like, oh, it'd be really cool to like have a video game studio that was in the bottom, like in the first floor of a house in Portland <laughs> and then like live in the second floor and have like the bedroom up there or whatever, um, which is not exactly how it ended up working out because when we started the Fulbright company, the studio was in the basement and we lived in the top two floors of the house. <laughs> and it was all three of the, the co-founders of the company who lived in the house, not just uh, not just me and my wife or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, weirdly it was like, it was after, it was really after I think we had shipped on home. I remembered having that thought when I was, when I was younger, that I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. It's like, Oh, I kind of did that. I guess. Yeah, you really did. I mean, you get um, pretty but, close to that mark. Yeah. But you know, I, the, the thing is, you know, throughout my actual career, I wasn't spending a lot. I wasn't really, in general aiming for like I really want to start my own studio because especially when I was working in you know in the earlier part of my career in AAA and everything for a long time there wasn't really a very visible like viable path towards starting your own small studio you know what I mean Um, like because now you know when when we started the Fulbright company and, and going forward there there are a lot of clear avenues for like single digit number of, of team members starting something together and making a game and having it be a success. But, you know, I, I didn't really even consider starting my own thing until the point where I'd kind of gone through the whole loop of working on bigger and bigger AAA projects and it just decided with my wife to move back to Portland. And I was sort of like, well, if we're going to be in Portland and I want to keep making games that are anything like the kind of games that I really care about and want to have, like, a real contribution to, I guess, I guess we're just going to have to start our own thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's very similar. When I talked to Greg Kasavin, he had mentioned that even when, uh, he, uh, joined super giant games, mm-hmm. a lot of people had kind of already paved the way for them where, yeah. uh, just years before indie didn't make a lot of sense. If you told someone, well, I'm going to leave this very established job to go start my own thing in a basement right. people would think you're crazy but now people going off into basements don't seem as crazy it <laughs> seems like it's going to make a lot more sense because of the uh kind of abundance of indie games and the strength right. of the indie scene right now yeah and i mean you know at the time that um greg and amir were starting Supergiant, i think you know in the years immediately prior to that somebody would have been like what are you going to go make like match three are you gonna go make like you know like casual games or like facebook games or you know something like you're gonna go make a like a super farm simulator thing yeah um because that was like i think that that there was a turning point up to which before that it was mostly like oh if you're if you're making if you're a small team you're making like because it was sort of it was it was like pre iPhone and apps, so it was like oh you're gonna make like mobile games, yeah. you know, like because before the iTunes Store for games that wasn't even seen as being a a gold mine, it was like 
anyway, so so yeah, there was that point where it's sort of like, so you're gonna go do what? But um, <laughs> you know, the super giant guys were, um, you know, were even they were they were some of the the people that we looked to as um, inspirations and mm-hmm. kind of a, an example of like that this can actually work, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because um, I've been friends with Greg for a long time, um, and yeah, when uh, when I was first talking about starting the Fulbright company, I talked with him because they had just released Bastion. They they released Bastion while I was in Boston working on Bioshock Infinite, and so then you know, like six months later or whatever, I was back in um, in Portland, and uh, you know. It, it, yeah, it, you 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 just have to see some people do it and, and show that it's possible, and that kind of gives you the confidence to say, oh, "Well, maybe we should try that." You know. Yeah, and speaking of confidence, what did it do for you when? So you were a big part of Minerva's Den for Bioshock Two, and a mm-hmm. lot of people were actually saying that might have been the best part of Bioshock Two. When you saw a lot of that coming out, what did that do for your confidence? Seeing that you know you're at this big studio, Bioshock's this massive. Uh, franchise now and you were able to produce one of the most interesting parts of it what was that like for you i mean it it was sort of um on the one hand we had a lot of advantages because you know um bioshock 2 the main game the with the that that production was building a team and a game at the same time you know what i mean it was like you need to make a sequel to bioshock basically in whatever, a short time period. It was like less than two years or something. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're starting with um, with eight people from Irrational that have been transplanted. And so you need to, like, build up a team. They, they all need to learn to work together. And you actually need to design this game and build it and finish it and get it out. So, you know, it was sort of like, by the time we got around to Minerva's Den, it was like, okay, we're, we're through all of that learning and, and expansion and all those moving parts have settled and it's sort of like we have this stable base of like we're making an expansion pack for a direct sequel to a shipped game so we just you know we <laughs> like we had a lot to work with yeah but, um that there was a lot more growing pains during the main game so like on the one hand relatively speaking we had it easy like it was basically our, our job just to take what we had and do a good job with it as opposed to like make the stuff to have in the, in the first yeah. place um but you know th- that said i i i don't know i i had wanted minerva's den to be the best part of bioshock 2 mm-hmm. you know like i mean not in any sort of like way that denigrates the main game but just in terms of like if you're gonna make something yeah might as well that, make it as great as possible yeah like like if, you're, if it's like i'm gonna make this standalone story that takes place in the Bioshock 2 framework. Um, I mean, I guess you you could go in not wanting to make it the best part of the game and then people could end up liking it. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's a lot easier if you're like, I really want to like just make this thing fire on all cylinders. And if people say Minerva's Den was my favorite thing about Bioshock 2, then like, that's great. You know, because like the alternative is it's not as good as something else, right? Yeah, you don't want people <laughs> would, to be like, I, eh, I guess that happened. You want yeah, people to exactly. remember that. Right, yeah. If, if it was like, oh yeah, I like Bioshock too. Minerva's Den was okay also. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's how I want people to react. But like, um, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you can you can have a really solid 
base to work from, you can want to make it really, you know, land and, uh, and, and be everything that you want it to be. And it, it might still not work out just depending on circumstances and what you bring to it and stuff. So, um, in the end, I was just really grateful that we were able to pull off something that we were all really happy with and that, yeah, people, um, responded to really strongly once it actually, you know, came out and everything. Yeah, and like you said, it's DLC for a sequel to an already shipped game. So you're working within a specific framework already that other people have kind of created before. So when you compare that to the feeling of shipping Gone Home, which was your own studio, your own ideas, you know, your own everything, you're really building that from the ground up. Would you call that, is that more rewarding to not just release something like that, but garner such high praise like you did for something like Gone Home? It's definitely gratifying to have built something that was you know from like that that we decided what we wanted the the core mechanics and the core experience to be from you know from from square one in some ways and that you know we we decided this is going to be the setting and the story and what happens and who the characters are and all that kind of stuff and for people to really connect to it um you know that said we we basically the mechanics and the core experience were effectively constructed from a subset of what you do in Bioshock, just aimed at different aims and then mixed in with like a few things that you do in Amnesia, the Dark Descent, basically. <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of like, okay, there's the the environment exploration, audio diary finding, you know, story discovery kind of part of, of Bioshock with the you know immersive first person perspective and everything and then also you can open drawers and cabinets and doors and find physics objects and examine them from every angle and stuff which was all stuff that was in amnesia and basically you know let you have much more of a tangible connection to the environment and like digging into its details and we just tried to push that even further you know and say like every note you find is a totally unique asset with real handwriting on it that feels like, you know, it's this little artifact that you're discovering and so on and so forth. But, you know, I, I think that um, it was important for us to say we're a very small team. We only have so much to work with in terms of resources and time. We are going to kind of synthesize this experience we want to make out of a bunch of known parts of games we, we've either worked on or played. And then our job is to make sure that all the pieces fit together well and kind of convey the the experience we're envisioning. You know? So before any of the reviews hit for Gone Home, did you kind of have an expectation of how the general public would react to it? Because at this point, you've seen hundreds of maybe thousands of different you know responses that are, well, this isn't a game. This isn't mm-hmm. this, this isn't that. And of course, there's a lot of positive and then a lot of those people who just discount it because there's no you shooting people with guns but did you kind of have a certain expectation going in that a lot of people would react in that way no i mean i i guess you know we we kind of i guess we we basically expected things to be a lot more um low-key than they were you know what i mean i I think that we um you know but by the time we finished the game we played it and we thought to ourselves you know i like we, we thought we made a good game. We thought we made something that we would like if we were the ones playing it. Um, and yeah, you know, we just kind of figured it's a has a very specific focus. You know, if if like walking around and exploring this environment and finding this story isn't 
what you're into, then there's nothing else in the game. So, so <laughs> uh, you know, if that's not your thing, then, then the game's not going to be for you. Um, I think, I feel like a, a lot of it, um, I, and I and I feel like that would have, so, so, you know, we kind of expected there would be some people who are, who are like, this is for me, I'm really into it, and some people who are like, well, this isn't really what I'm into, so forget it. Um, and I think on, on some level, the degree to which reviews and, you know, critics and people writing essays and, and wherever else uh, in, were highly enthusiastic about it. And yeah. really, you know, so it's, it's a like, good way to put know, it. There's a lot of enthusiasm both ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I think if the game had come out, then it, it sort of made some small ripples and... If it had less visibility, I think it would have gone about the way that we expected, which would have been some people would have taken it up and been like, this is great, and nobody else would have cared. But I think that the degree to which we were getting, you know, 10 out of 10s and Game of the Year uh, awards and all that kind of stuff basically um, pushed the game on an audience that was set up to be less receptive to it that probably just wouldn't have cared about it at all otherwise so so it, so yeah so there was a um a strong reaction in the opposite direction um yeah you know, an equal and opposite reaction it wasn't it wasn't equal but you know what i mean uh, yeah i think because the positive uh push was so strong it, it made people that weren't into it react more strongly than, than otherwise would have happened you know was it bizarre um, to yeah. see all these essays and these massive features and editorials digging into your game? Because, of course, you put so much into it and so much thought into it. And it was such a big part of your life for a while. But to see that response where people are, you know, writing thousands of words on your game, what's that like? I mean, it's like it's it's really like all I think it's really kind of like all you can ask for. You know what I mean? It's like you you put you put years of time and effort and investment into a game like this. And, you know, lots of people release lots of games and sometimes a good game comes out and it seems like nobody cares. You know what I mean? Which is like it. So, so to actually make something and hope that people will connect with it and put it out there and then, yeah, see this outpouring of people really, um, <clears throat> identifying themselves and their own experience in the game and sharing kind of the connection they had to what we made and what it meant to them and yet yeah, dissecting tiny details. I mean, you know, Gone Home is a game that's about giving the player access to tiny details and, and allowing them to make connections and infer things from them. So it, I, I, I feel like the highest compliment that people can give us is that they actually pour themselves into doing that, you know, and, and, and getting everything out of the out of the game that they can and talking about why it mattered to them, you know. Um, so it, it was it was certainly really cool seeing seeing people um, kind of reflect themselves through the through the game and express that and um, really really delve into it. And not at all to harp on the this isn't a game <laughs> conversation that was floating around, but at this point you have to have a thick skin from all of your experience in the industry, you've kind of most likely heard it all. But mm -hmm. was there ever a moment after the game's release where that got to you? Uh, or was the positive response so much greater than that that you kind of just didn't really pay much mind? I guess for me, it's less that it's less of an external thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's less that 
it was it was less looking at the balance of like well more people say it's good uh, and it was more just like an internal thing of me never thinking anything along the lines of that it's you know not a game or something I'm like I don't as far as I'm concerned like a so so you know a I I I spent enough time like in college around the whole like what is art question like is this yeah. art this is an art <laughs> you know and it's just like all it is is a label and all it is really at the end of the day is shorthand for like, I personally don't value this. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's turning just a subjective label into a value judgment, which is pointless. So like, is it a game or not? Like on like first and foremost, like it doesn't matter what any one person says, like it's not a definable thing in a concrete way. Yeah. And then B, you know, from my own personal perspective, I'm like, I'm I'm fully confident that there are all these aspects of Gone Home that are importantly native to to what games are versus any other kind of expression that yeah. that define why it works. Um, and so, you know, I've I, I've never in, in in my heart I've never been like, well, maybe it isn't really a game. <laughs> you know, so like <laughs> this so, existential so crisis of man, yeah. maybe they were right. Yeah. So, so you know, as far as like, did it ever get to me or whatever? It'd be, it's like no, but just because I've always felt, you know, in in my own from my just from my own like outlook on things, I've always felt like, well, here's all the reasons that it's important that this thing is a game. So like whatever <laughs> yeah no i mean like gone home works because it's interactive it works because you get to walk through and examine and you know move around it's, it doesn't work as a movie or as anything else it's yeah i mean and there's a lot you know there's a lot of experiences that are interactive um that aren't games yeah. or aren't game-like in terms of like you playing with them you know you you, you advance through like interactive menus on a website or something, right? Like the interactivity is one thing, but I think that um, on a higher level in a game like Gone Home and, you know, so many games, even ones that aren't about a score popping up on screen or, or whatever that really track your, your, your skill and your success at it. Like Gone Home is inherently based on player agency and the player internalizing the rules of how the game world works and how their own abilities work and being able to survey this field and say like, okay, I think there's something interesting over there and over there and over there. And I'm going to express my agency and what I'm going to put my attention into and invest meaning into by picking, you know, saying I'm going to like pick this up and examine it and like actually project myself into uh, extrapolating what that means entirely through this set of consistent interactive tools that I have yeah. not because the only thing I can do is walk forward to the next note or, you know, et cetera. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's really saying to the player, like, here's where you are. Here's what you can do. Whoa. What's next? Yep. You know? Um, so I, I feel like that is a, a, a core aspect of why people feel so deeply invested in the experience by the end, because at every step of the way they were choosing how to um, how to pull themselves through it and how to involve themselves in in figuring out what it means you know yeah and one of the things I'm always most interested in when I'm talking to developers uh, is how they read reviews and what they kind of use them for how they use them as a tool because you know I've been as someone who's been writing 
for quite a while for GameSpot and IGN. I always wonder, like, I wonder if a developer sees this thing that I wrote about their game and can read it and say, like, I agree with this, I disagree with that, I can use this piece of knowledge this person wrote to make my next game better. It was really interesting talking to Greg Kasavin, who was someone who was at GameSpot for so long, to see, like, hey, yeah. what do you think about reviews when you're making a game? Um, <laughs> and I know it's something that uh, I'm now working with the studio as an editor for them, and it's going to be something mm-hmm. that I might... I hope I don't obsess over reviews, but part of me thinks I will just because yeah. I know how they work and I'm like, oh, this person didn't play the game. So <laughs> did you find a common theme amongst a lot of the Gone Home reviews that maybe, for example, you can take that and make your next game, Tacoma, even better because you heard like, okay, this might have not worked with people. Let's improve upon that. Or are you more, you could take that in, you could read it, but it's, you know, it's your team's project and you're going to do it the way you want to do it. The, the, I think I think in a lot of ways the harder thing in some cases is that you know we we received a lot of reviews that were that were very positive you know and that that didn't really offer a whole lot in the way in in the the in terms of like you know but this wasn't so great you know like it, yeah. they were and and we're incredibly lucky and grateful for that to be the case um, I which I think at that point the bigger danger it puts you in is basically like saying, okay, we put something out and everybody was like, we really liked that. And so the, the danger and the, and the fear I think becomes like, so I guess we just have to do that again. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Oh, we, we already did something that people said they liked. We don't want to fuck it up and like yeah. do something different. And yeah, got it. One. Let's like just that? pull it back. Um, and, and so, um, you know, if anything, I think that, um, yeah, you know, there there could there could be a paralysis that comes from that. You know what I mean? Of sort of like like there was just this consensus that that thing was good, effectively, you know, basically. Um, and and so if you, I think, allow that to make you scared to do anything else except for that, then like you do the same thing a second time, people aren't going to be so excited about it. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I, I think that the real challenge is to is to be able to kind of decode what it was about the thing that people actually liked that you can maintain and build off of and continue to grow with future projects without just doing the exact same thing again. You know what I mean? Because like reviews can say like, we really liked, you know, like Sam's emotional story was, you know, the, the, what we cared about in this game and it's like okay you know her story was a version of a story we could tell with this kind of experience yeah um but how can we expand on that and and build off of what we have um in a way that's meaningful without completely sacrificing what we know we're good at and what people responded to in the broadest sense. Um, but without just saying like, here's more gone home. You said you liked it last time. So we didn't want to, we didn't want to risk doing anything different. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so it's a, it, it's, it's a hard balance. And, you know, I think that when we were first working on, when we were first working on Tacoma, we were a lot, we were much, much closer to gone home. And then when we stepped away from that and pushed it into a near future setting, we were further from gone home, but then in our first pass, like when we were showing the game last year, after that point, we realized that a lot of the things that we had 
changed or added were like alongside stuff that was still very similar to Gone Home in a way that didn't push it far enough. And so in the intervening time, our real work has been in saying like, okay, how can we move, how can we move the stuff that really matters further into its own territory yeah. in a way that doesn't feel like we're repeating ourselves and actually allows us to do something that's surprising and interesting and that we haven't seen before the way that we did with Gone Home, but in a different way than the way we did it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, <laughs> we, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big, weird, naughty, thorny, you know, like well, ball trying to figure out what, what a good thing to do is. But, but the reaction is definitely a starting point for that, you know, of, of just saying like, trying to just say like, what is it that really mattered about this thing to people, you know? Yeah. Would you be interested maybe in like, let's say you get deep into play testing of Tacoma and uh, bringing in specific people who maybe journalists, let's say, who were very passionate about Gone Home and loved it to see like, hey, does this strike a similar chord with you? Would you be interested in doing something like that? Personally, I think that there is. Um, so we do, we do play testing and, and we and we do, you know. Like our playtests are basically like play this and tell tell us what you thought about it, you know, like et cetera. Um, but we do that with other developers that we know. Um, I do think that there's, um, I think I do think there is a line between between what you want to bring to journalists and what you want to bring to other developers. Um, so, like from my point of view, I wouldn't bring journalists in before the thing was actually at the review code stage aside yeah. from like looking at previews or like the kind of stuff we did last year that was more like check out this build we have and like you know this is something that we're showing publicly but i think internally as far as like like really looking at things in terms of hey here's where we're at we want some honest critical feedback on just like when you play this what do you think and what doesn't work for you and what does work for you and we want to use that as a basis for like how to adjust our thinking going forward that, um, yeah, our, our, uh, you know, pool of that are, are people like, you know, like Greg, um, Greg Kasavin and, and other people that, that we know in the industry who, uh, have seen a lot of games at this point in development yeah. and <laughs> feedback on this stuff to like their team members or other teams at the like big publisher they used to work at or whatever. Um, but you know, regardless, yes, it is very, very critical to us to take unfinished stuff, show it to people that we know and trust who have the perspective to like see through the presentation stage that it's at and, and give real useful insight on where it seems to be going and adjust our course based on that. Uh, that was definitely where some of the decision-making that we've made, made between last summer and now um, has come from and it'll continue to influence, influence us going forward for sure. Yeah, and one more thing kind of on that train of thought. Do you use, have you ever used mock reviews before to kind of get an idea of where they'll fall on the Metacritic scale? <laughs> I've, I mean, I've seen that done at big studios that I've worked at before, um, but not not on our own stuff. Okay, yeah, because I mean, I did one, because I was extremely curious, I did one last year uh, yeah. for like, not a massive game, but I don't think I can talk about it. It's not out yet. But like right. big-ish. And yeah, mm -hmm. that was a super unique experience that I think kind of falls maybe closer into what I was talking about with like journalists looking at this thing right. beforehand. But yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's the thing that 
probably a lot of people who aren't in the industry don't know, but like, yeah, there's a number of basically like consultancy companies that generally are like ex game reviewers that have said like, okay, I'm going to stop working for whatever websites and we're going to start our own company and yeah, go around to generally big AAA companies and play their game pre-release and say, here's what the review would look like for this game yeah. if it were released today. And that and the, the intent is for that to help guide the the path of the game towards release to to address the things that reviewers might be um, less enthused about or, or think they're working less well. Um, it's fascinating. It's yeah. super it's super interesting. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. And when I first yeah. did it, it was like this is so weird. <laughs> like it yeah, is. managing yeah. expectations for the publisher. And uh, yeah, like you said, understanding like, hey, a lot of the writers are probably gonna have issues with this and this is gonna be one of the things they really enjoy and they can kind yeah. of and it's very weird to um see the game uh maybe even change a bit before release, mm-hmm. a lot of it being based on uh like what you said. It's weird how much power a mock reviewer can have that yeah. no, people it's had true. no idea before. Well, and the weird thing is that a lot of times it's just about having an outside perspective because yeah. a lot of times from my experience, the feedback that the mock reviews come back with match a lot of what's been being kicked around inside the studio, like for months generally. It's yeah. sort of like like, oh, here's what the here's what the you know consultants said when they came in and like people at the studio are just like yeah we've been saying that you know but like yeah i don't think very it, often uh, like the mock reviewer is surprising you by saying like this thing you're like what i never thought of that like yeah i, I think you're right and I, and I think sometimes that you know sometimes that is the, it's certainly sometimes that is the case yeah. where it's sort of like here's this thing it's like oh i didn't even realize people would like think that that's what that meant or something you know like oh we really need to like like support this character more because we were just thinking they were just a side character but like the reviewers were like this character is amazing. I want to know more about them or something, right? Like all that, that stuff definitely comes through, but there, there also, there's the opposite side where it's sort of like, I think a lot of times, you know, the people running a large studio or the people, the publisher, the feeling is that the developers who are inside the project and working on it for every day for months and years are kind of too close to it to really have perspective on like, if this thing is really busted or this thing isn't working or whatever. And so the, the opposite side of that coin is a lot of times it will just be months and months of like, you know, people inside the studio being like, dude, this, this thing is jacked up. Like this is not good and we need to do X and nothing happens and nothing happens. Then a mock review comes through and they're like, we really need to fix X. And everybody's like, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and you know, like that I, on some level, I think that's totally, that's totally legit, you know, because there's a lot of noise that comes from inside the studio and it's hard to get a, a consensus on what you know what people really feel needs to change and, and all that kind of stuff. And so when you get that focusing outside perspective, like here's somebody who who hasn't had their their brain inside of this headspace for you know the last year plus, um, and they said that thing. So okay, now we can kind of take that to you know higher ups that that need to actually flip yeah. the switch on, on making that change and say go for it. Um, but, you know, as, as somebody who's on the ground, it can also be kind of frustrating sometimes to be like, what, we've been saying this for six months and now <laughs> some guy comes in for a day and says it, and now we're going to do it. And you now know? that's that's the difference maker. Yeah, but I mean, that's just part of the process, you know, like 
at some point you just got to make a decision and sometimes it's just that outside perspective that gives you the push to actually do it you know yeah uh and something else i always like to ask developers uh is how they look at their old work because as a writer i will read a review from two years ago and just cringe and be like oh god i can't believe i said that why did i use the word visceral again what am i doing with my life uh and I, I feel like I, 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 I go back. I was blown away. I said, <laughs> Man, this it's so many mixed bag references. But like, <laughs> I I really find I do a lot of things differently. So yeah. now that you're deep into the development of Tacoma, do you find yourself looking back at Minerva's Den and Gone Home and thinking like, God damn it, I wish I would have changed this, this, and this, or are those just separate works that you don't really look at in that way? I mean, the the thing that I feel very very you know lucky about in my career so far is like the things that i have gotten to be a lead on i don't have a lot of regrets about them when i go back and look at them like in some cases there's like you know there's bugs or something right like it's yeah. sort of like something oh, that's almost impossible to i wish catch we could have fixed that yeah. or something you know um especially when it's something like minerva's den where it's sort of like you go back and you're like oh that's a bug hole there's literally no way that's ever gonna get <laughs> get fixed uh, it's just like logistically there's no possibility of that ever happening um so you just kind of have to live with it um and like in gone home you know at some point you're like okay we aren't just going to be patching this thing literally forever so like if this really small bug is is there it's just that's gonna have to be how it is you know um but like as far as just overall like the experience you know the player experience etc there there's some things that like there's things that i think could be better you know like i don't know in gone home i i kind of wish i i had rounded out mom's character more you know like her story is definitely not as present or strong as sam's story or dad's story or even like oscar's story is very varied but um it has a lot more to it i feel like you know um which which i don't like it's weird because there there's certain like on the one hand I'm like oh we could have we could have hit that harder and made her feel like a more complete character and like she had a, a a story arc that was as strong as the other characters but you know I've also had seen people say like mom's story was my favorite part of the game because it was so hands off and mm-hmm. I just felt like I believed it because it wasn't you know, hitting me in the face as like a quote unquote story arc. I just like felt like I was really discovering small things that happened to this this person. I'm like, all right, so <laughs> so, if, so if I fix that, so if some people yeah, it ruins the experience for this person. When, yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's weird, but you know, there's little stuff like <clears throat> nervous den, the the development on that. Um, you know, came in hot at the end. It was sort of like okay, we were we were still. Uh, finishing screwing in a couple of parts like as we were submitting it you know like i wish that we had used one of our licensed soundtrack songs for the closing credits for yeah. <laughs> for that and and uh, like i'm always like ah oh, god damn it <laughs> uh, you know it's but, it's but it's little stuff um i hope that'll continue to be true um i think that you know the the, the advantage i've had is that on the nervous then you know, I wrote the whole thing. I was the level designer that built the first level of the game, which is like half of the half of the <laughs> DLC because it's a huge sprawling level. Um, and I scripted a bunch of the stuff myself in like the the ending and you know all that all that kind of stuff. Um, and on Gone Home, you know, I was I was the writer and the only 
you know, designer slash level designer on it. So, you know, I placed every object that was in the game by hand, like, you know, all the, yeah. every light that was in there. It's yeah. like, I put it in the editor. So like at that point, if you're not happy with something, it's just cause you fucked up, you know, <laughs> there's, yeah, like, there's really. no excuse for it. And so like, I've been lucky to be able to be close enough to the projects that I've been, been in charge of to basically be able to make sure that everything is the way it should be before it goes out the door. Um, you know, we're, we're working with a larger team on Tacoma than we have internally before. Um, you know, there, in, in a lot of ways, I'm slightly more hands-off than I have been on prior projects. I mean, the, we, we have pretty much the same number of people that we did on Minerva's Den, but it's just a different kind of, of development environment, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, I hope that I'll be able to continue being involved enough with every step of the way to make sure that like the game is the thing we want it to be and not like close to what we wanted it to be you know what i mean yeah you, you don't want to come up just short and be like man if we would have just done a little more we'd right or, realize that i mean well because one of the things that's hard about <clears throat> about really big games you know like big triple a games is like even if you're the person in charge of it there's just so much in it you know there's like yeah there's so many different systems and systems are you, you spec a system at the beginning, but by the, by the time it's, it's built all the way out and laid out through the entire length of the game, it can have led to a logical conclusion that was very difficult to predict when you started down that path. But yeah. by the time you get there, you're already there. You know what I mean? No, totally. Like, Oh, this is like this crafting system would be cool. And then by the end of the game, you're like, Jesus, I have like a thousand crafting things and like, oh, this sucks. And yeah. you're like, well, <laughs> like, I, here we are, you know. Um, and so, and, you know, there's so much level geometry and, and so much art that goes into the game that's just sort of like, even if you want to have perfect knowledge of every single point along the experience, there's just so much that it's like pretty much impossible for somebody not to end up shipping something and just be like, oh, really? Like, that's in the game? You know, when it's yeah. at that scale. So um, hopefully the fact that, that we do work smaller and that there's there, there there's less to kind of get lost along the way puts us in a better position. But, you know, fingers crossed, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it'll be great. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whether it be critically, whether it be mechanically, visually, or just the response overall, what do you think is the biggest lesson you can take from Gone Home and that you have taken from Gone Home that will make Tacoma a better video game? The biggest lesson from Gone Home was just scoping. You know, it was just yeah. sort of like make the game that is the right size for who you have and the time you have and, and what you're able to do and what you're good at. Um, we're certainly pushing ourselves further on this project, but we also have more people with a more varied skill set. Um, so... You know, I, I think that assuming that you you haven't signed yourself up to make to make a project that doesn't fit into the 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 space that you can provide it, um, the next step from there is just like always be questioning your assumptions as you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like with with Gone Home. We started working on the game and we only built the first half of the game first and we used it as a demo and then we had to finish the rest of the game. But the first half of the game 
was kind of our our constraint you know like the second half of the game has to has to pay off the beginning because we're not changing the beginning because we already built built it <laughs> like it's there um and so along the way there were a lot of points where we were like well maybe this is the ending and and you know maybe this is what happens in the second half maybe this is what the what the final scene is um and at any point during that process we could have said okay that's what it is we're just building that um by the time we got to the end, we had gone through like five or six revs of like, okay, I think this is the ending <laughs> and put it in and be like, in an honest way, be like, okay, we laid that in and this is really not it. This is not satisfying the requirements this ending is going to have mm. and continuing to push through it and not settle for the thing that could be on screen but that isn't really um addressing the totality of of what form it needs to take you yeah. know what i mean yeah absolutely. so you know just constantly questioning and and being like is this really what we're trying to say is this really what this experience is trying to say and just doing the hard work of like when you do get to a point where you're like okay this is cool then, then stopping, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you, you could just like change stuff forever. But I, I think it's it's a it's a difficult it's a learned skill to be able to say like, I really feel in in my gut and for these practical reasons that this isn't doing what we need and we need to figure out something better. But like the version that we're reacting to has taught us something, and we're totally. not just random stuff, you know. But we are saying this is still not good enough. This is still not good enough. But what we learned from it is we need to do something is more like this or that this isn't going to work, but like what's something else aside from that and, and just finding your way to the thing that you're actually going to be able to believe in enough to, to be the thing that people end up playing. Yeah. And it can be hard to get rid of that section that you put a lot of time into because it could feel like you wasted time. But like you said, yeah. you're, you're still learning from it. You're still looking at that and be like, okay, how can we use this new knowledge we got from this to make something better? Yeah, uh, and that's something I know I struggle with with writing where I'm like, no, I want to keep this paragraph. I don't care if it doesn't fit. I have a really good sentence right here and <laughs> I want to leave this in. But yeah, sometimes right. the best thing you can do is just chop that out and use that to yeah. make something better. Well, and some, you know, like, you, I don't know, yesterday when Carlo and I were working together on something, we were looking at, at this stuff and we were like, okay, these two scenes don't line up timing wise. So uh, the most straightforward thing to do would just be cut the longer one down. And so we kind of did the exercise of like, okay, we could cut these lines and these lines, and then it would probably be about the right length. And then, you know, but it was like, well, now it's just like a very functional scene. Like we, we've, yeah. like, we've basically cut all of the interesting stuff out and it still like gets the, the message across, but like it was lost all the characterization of it. And so we're like, okay, well we could do that, but what if instead we added something really simple to the other scene to make it longer? Oh, and if we and we could make it so this one character leaves the space and then comes back and while she's gone something happens and like basically going through the different like it's not it's not always a bad thing to want to keep the thing, right? Yeah. Like like it only pushed us to think of a better solution for the overall problem for us to say like, well, we could cut all this stuff, but it's actually good. Is there a way that we can make that we can address our 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 issues yeah. and make the overall thing better and keep the stuff that's good. <laughs> the answer isn't always yes, but sometimes. Oh, but when it when it is, it's so sweet because you're right. like, yeah, I got to keep all the stuff I like. Right. Well, and you know, yeah, it's it's just a hard balance because you you can't let yourself say I'm never going to cut something that I like just because I like it. But sometimes, at least doing 
the legwork to say like, okay, but is there some way that we could keep the stuff we like that would also just make the whole thing better? Yeah. And sometimes that, that leads you to solutions that, yeah, that, that, that get you both things so that if you had just said like, oh, I guess we're cutting it and not thought any further than that, you wouldn't have ended up that. So, you know, but, but a lot of times it's just sort of like, okay, do the, do the mental legwork, think how can we keep that and achieve our goals? And if you really get to the point where we're like, sorry, we just can't keep it, then yeah. like there, you know? Well, yeah, uh, at that point, at least you exhausted your options. You figured, you right. did the legwork, like you said, to figure out. Yeah, you, you've, done the, you've done the real work to just like ensure like, okay, is there really no way we can do this? And if you hit the point where you really can't, then like, so it goes, right? But, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and in spirit, these podcasts still have some advice that I like to impart at the end. Yeah, at the start, I swear, the first few podcasts I did were like full advice. We would like take emails and then it just kept evolving. And I'm like, you know what's better? Not doing all advice and just doing stuff like this. But I still Sorry. try to keep some in. Sure. Uh, for me, so I usually try to like at the end of these, I have at least one tip. And one that kind of came to light for me recently was, like I said, I am, uh, I'm stepping away from freelancing and I'm going into working with a studio. And yeah. One of the best things I did when I was still writing for games on IGN was not just I've, I've I've always considered myself pretty good at taking edits. Like I don't get upset, I don't freak out. I understand that yeah. if something needs to be changed, it needs to be changed. But not just looking at, not just accepting the edits, but also understanding why things were changed and looking like yeah. hey, why was this morphed around? Why was this paragraph put up here? And I always spent time after a review went live to look through it and understand what changed. And now that I don't have an editor for this new job and I am in essence the editor. It's, I hope so at least, going to help me greatly to understand like this is why things were changed, understand what in my writing is weak, how I can make it better. So I guess for me, if you're a freelancer out there who is listening to this and you write for GameSpot, you write for IGN and you have a, a good editor and most editors right now are really good, um, take the time to not just look to see your reviews posted understand what was changed, why it was changed, and use that to hopefully in the future have something even better the next time when you're writing a review, a feature, or anything in that space. So for me, that's something that I've recently experienced and I've been thinking about. So that's my tip for right now. Steve, I know you've been talking a lot, but uh, <laughs> if anything does come to mind for you know developers who are just getting into this or yeah. uh, are looking to get into this, if you have any kind of tip you can kind of give to them. I, so one thing that comes to mind is like, if you can work with an editor, <laughs> it's really valuable. Yes. Um, it's not something that that um, <clears throat> is really codified in the game space, but I think it applies in multiple ways. You know, like one is like me in particular. I work with Carla um, Carla Zamanja, who is my story editor and and creative partner, um, and we've worked together since Minerva's Den. That's where we we we, oh, wow. we met each other at. And we still oh no I I've worked with her since the main game of Bioshock too because I was writing stuff like splicer callouts and like tertiary audio diaries and stuff and she was basically like the script supervisor and so she was editing the scripts and she gave me feedback on them and stuff so so we worked together but you know we worked together more directly on Minerva's Den and then gone home and now on Tacoma and um, so you know it like my None of the things that I've done would actually be good if I didn't have um, people that I relied on for yeah. helping to guide me and collaborate on ideas with me um, and really took their input seriously. Like, for instance, in with Minerva's Den, I, I 
so the sorry, I'm, I don't want to make this podcast the longest thing. No, you're world, fine. But um, with Minerva's Den, um, it, you know, it still is this, but um, it started out even more as a very straight, um, basically re uh, reimagining of System Shock Two in Bioshock. You know, it's like okay, there's this AI. Spoilers. It impersonates people's voices. You don't know who it really is. Like you know, then and so it was basically just the arc of the part of System Shock Two from the beginning up through when Polito reveals that spoilers. She's really showdown. Um, and and so like my original pitch was basically just just that with different characters um, in Rapture, obviously, etc. Um, and so I, I took that to um, the lead the lead designer. Zach McClendon and the creative director of, of Bioshock 2, the main game, uh, Jordan Thomas, and and brought them the script and they read through it and they said in a in a in a meeting with me and they were like, you know, I think there's something cool here, but like I don't think this is really gonna land the way that you want it to. I don't think there's a payoff here at the end that I'm excited about. Um, so I, I I think you gotta find figure out a better way to like push on this thing and and you know, so I was sort of like, okay, well. Through that 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 discussion, I was like, "Well, okay, so we've got we've got like we've got this main character. Like, you play as a big daddy because you have to because Bioshock Two is about that. So yeah, it's like, yeah, really. um, like in in the original pitch, like Porter was just dead at the end of the thing. So it was like at, at that time, I was like, okay, well, we've got you play as this big daddy who doesn't have any other identity than that, and Porter's dead at the end. But what if?" you were playing as the big daddy that Porter got turned into. Mm-hmm. And I, we just kind of sat with it and, and Zach was like, yeah, that's good. Let's just do that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, but like, but that, 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 and, and you know, that that's the, that's the story of me working with Carla on tons of things too. Just like, here's my first idea. And she's like, ah. <laughs> well, and then it's like, okay, well, what about this better idea? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's good. You know? And so you know that that's kind of a very specific example of like writing and and whatnot but i think that you know if you are if you are making your own levels or if you're making your own small games or if you are making you know if you are writing and and creating you know story-based uh game stuff or if you like i think everyone could benefit from finding someone that they really trust to be their first they're the first person to play what they make or the first person to read what they write and to really say if i make this thing and i hand it to you and you play it and you're like it's kind of cool but this thing isn't working for me that they can be the person that helps you figure out where the weaknesses are early enough to make the overall thing absolutely stronger um and you know in in like in a realm like you know games journalism or reviewing or whatever it's like the structure is enforced to be like you're a writer and you have an editor and that's how it works and i think that in a lot of other disciplines you you have to do the work to find an editor for yourself and to actually trust them to be able to tell you when you're wrong and to take that seriously and and do something about it to make your work better Mm -hmm. um but you know i'm i've been i've been so um there's so many people in my career who have who have enabled the work to be good by pushing me to do better than I would have known how to on my own. And yeah. I think that's true of tons of people. I think a lot of people just don't know it. <laughs> but if you can find somebody that that can say like, here's stuff you haven't 
thought of. Here's stuff that you wouldn't have done on your own. Here's a perspective that you said, this is probably good enough, but it's not. And can you do better? And, you know, if, if you can find that um, in your own work, I think you can only benefit from it. Yeah, it's invaluable. I've had someone like that before. I ever had Kevin Van Orde at GameSpot, who he was my roommate in college. I still talk to him all the time. <laughs> Just the the advice where, like you said, I trust him implicitly and am able to say like, hey, I want you to read this first. And like, I know you're not going to softball me and be like, oh, this is great. And deep down, you're like, this part just sucks so bad. And, yeah, <laughs> right. So like, yeah, you need someone to trust. In, yeah. And I think that's hard to find, but great. Yeah. Time. Even somebody who just has the intuitive kind of gut feeling who's just sort of like, this part isn't working for me. And I don't even know if I'm sure why, but yeah. let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, uh, don't, don't try to do it all on your own. That's what I guess I mean to say. Totally. I agree. Uh, so Tacoma, is it 2016? Is there a specific month or is it still in the wraps? <laughs> no, I mean, we're still, we're still working on it. So, um, we, we shall see what the specifics are, but yeah, it's slated for this year. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, Steve, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think you were a part of my first ever VG247 feature where I had reached out to you about like quotes or something like that. Uh-huh. And I always appreciate anyone who gives me the time of day to talk and you know, go <laughs> over this stuff and spend an hour on a mic. So I really right. do appreciate it and can't wait for, uh, for Tacoma. To, I was about to say finally come out, but it hasn't been that long to, to come out. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to it too. Thanks again for having me on the, on the, the podcast. It was good talking to you. Absolutely. It was great. And uh, thanks everyone for listening and hopefully you come back for the next episode of the 1099.